text today is Colossians chapter 1. Read it again. There's more to be said about Colossians chapter 1. A lot more. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, that is the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I labor, striving with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so this is the inspired word from the letter to the Colossians, from the hand of the apostle to the church. What does it mean for us? I want to focus today mostly on the part in verse 28. And so I'll show you right up close, zoom in here on 28. I want to focus on this one, where he is saying here in this particular verse, that him we proclaim, referring to Christ, of course. And then he says, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And we'll get to the rest of it. But for now, this business of warning everyone and teaching everyone. Warning everyone. Hmm. Translation might say admonishing. And maybe it even says something else. I'm not sure what they all might say. You think about this kind of idea, a warning, at least, at least in the context of a, of a, of a Christian, a, from a pulpit maybe, or from a street corner for that matter. In fact, I think about somebody who's out warning everyone. I sort of think about a, um, I don't know, maybe it's kind of a caricature. I'm sure that it is, but I think of a sort of modern-day uh, John the Baptist type, you know. Who's out there? Maybe in the maybe in a public uh, forum, maybe uh, open air, street corner, street preacher, maybe with a bullhorn, you know, maybe not. And and he's warning people. He's saying things like, "Repent, right? Repent, for the kingdom is at hand." And and again, that's. That's a stereotype of what you might think of. Oh, somebody who he warns. He's out warning people. I was reminded, I was thinking about this. I was reminded of something that I sort of uh, had forgotten about. And that is when I was a kid and uh, and I was hauled to church every every time, right? Like, Like the old saying is, I had a drug problem, that I got drugged to church every time the doors were open. And and I forgot about something that, honestly, because I was a kid, you know, and I accept, I just, it came to be normal to me. I thought it was normal. But it truly wasn't. And here's what it was. So when I was taken to church, 
As a kid, it was, this was a fairly large metropolitan church. It was a pretty traditional church, though. And out in the out in the foyer area, or as some of you prefer to call it, the vestibule, or as even stranger among you call it, the narthex. Uh, out there, sitting out there, every single Sunday morning during Sunday message, every more every week, was a man. He didn't come in the room. He stayed out there, and he sat in a chair, and. This man was peculiar. Part of the reason I think he didn't come in is he didn't get around so well. He's an older gentleman with a long beard, which, you know, is a trademark of your sanctification, David reminds me. But he would sit out there. He didn't get around so well. People helped him get there. gave him a ride. And he had signs all over him. Like he he carried signs. He would have, you know, like he held them and held him one in each hand, he had him here, they would set him down and arrange him around, like he had all these signs, that was his thing, he had, and they had verses on him, and stuff, John 3.16, and all. I'm sure some of them said repent, I mean, I don't remember what they all said, but he had all these signs, and, and when he wasn't at church, having all of his signs, sitting out there, I came to find out later, he was downtown, he was in parts of the city on street corners doing this, now, he was not a confrontational type. Like he didn't, he didn't scream at people as they walked by and confront them. Uh, in fact, he was a very sweet-natured gentleman. And as a kid, I, I saw him. He was always there. And I'd go by and shake his hand and say hi. And he was just a mainstay. He was a fixture. And I have no idea what this guy's last name was. He was called Brother Paul to everybody in the church. He was Brother Paul. And he's always there. And here's the best part. The part that I came to just see, again, as normal. But here's what Brother Paul's deal was during a sermon. When And, and, and he didn't do it all the time. He, he was economical about it, you know. He, he was It was slightly sporadic. But I'd say on average, it, it seemed to me as a kid that it was one at least once every sermon. And he picked his spots. Once every sermon, it seemed to me, during when, when somebody was really driving a point home. I mean, you know what I mean? Like when somebody was just really nailing it. A home run line, you know? A big amen line. Brother Paul, sitting way, sitting out there, the door next to him would be open, wherever he sat, so he could hear the sermon, and we could hear him. He would let loose with a big amen. And it wasn't just like this. Amen! No. Here's what it was like. Are you ready for this? Here's what it sounded like. Guy'd be thundering away, make the point, and here's what you'd hear echoing throughout the. That's what he'd do, and and everybody loved it, you know. And sometimes a preacher would comment on it. That's right, brother Paul. He'd call his name. To me, I just didn't think there was anything strange about this at all, and. Uh, why do I, now, why do I tell you that story? A, it's a cool story. <laughs> but that's, that's not enough to justify my telling it here. Uh, if that were enough to justify it, I, could, I, would, I would be guilty of telling a lot of stories like that. But no, that kind of guy with the signs, maybe street corner guy, is who you might picture when you think about somebody who warns people. So, but is that is that what this means? I mean, 
this is, is, is the other brother Paul, the one that wrote this to the Colossians, is he telling them, you people need to put up, get your repent signs out and hit the streets and uh, take up your bullhorn and go, go get to it. Uh, because if some, you're like, we're, we're all, we're, none of us is doing that. <laughs> so what do, what do we mean here? How, how can we understand what it means to warn or admonish in this passage? And so in order to do that, I'm going to give you the word itself. You know, I like to do it. I like to teach you words. Do I have this? I don't even know if I, I think I did. Oh, beautiful. I love it. There it is. There it is. New theteo. Greek lesson for today. New detail to admonish, or I admonish, or I advise. That's the form it takes there. It's built from two words, really. A lot of words are constructed from more than one word. Stick them together, compound them. And so the word noose, the first part of it, has to do with the, it, it means the mind. And that second part is from this word that talks about to locate or properly place or arrange something. And so really... Uh, the construction of it sort of gives off the idea that the, an admonition or a warning is a kind of way to uh, call the mind back to sanity, to its proper perspective, to properly arrange things in the mind, to get to get your head straight, you know? Because isn't it often and frequent in life that your head's not straight, that things aren't things are kind of woo all wacky in there, they're not in the right proportions, you're not seeing things correctly, you got misapprehensions and wrong ideas and falsehoods and lies and propagandas and you know every manner of things. And so the, an admonition isn't just to scare you. Hey, watch out, hey, watch out, hey, beware. It, it includes warnings like that. It includes things to beware of. But it's not just that. It's it's in the bigger picture it's sort of to sober someone up. You know what I mean? To refocus you. Kind of get you back to, hey, hey, remember now. Remember what's true. Remember what's not. Remember what matters. Remember what doesn't. And don't be a fool. Is an appeal to your truest sense that God has given you. A true sense that is often, you know, corrupted and thrown out of whack by sin. And by the schemes and the wiles of the enemy who just loves to mess with your head and to tweak your emotions and to harass you on every level. Paul uses this same word again in this same letter in chapter 3 when he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. Same word. Admonishing or warning Later, in a different letter, at the end of 2 Thessalonians, Paul tells the people, he says that if anyone disobeys what he's written in that letter, he says to the church, do not treat him like an enemy, but warn or admonish him as a friend. Same word. Don't treat the person like your enemy. Be a friend, not an enemy. What would an enemy do? I mean... An enemy might just let him go. Just for, you know, not not take the time to admonish them and to give them sincere warning to help them get their head straight. An enemy would do that. I mean, I mean, if your enemy's, you know, destroying him, his own life, 
right? The proper uh, the proper thing to do is nothing. <laughs> if you're his enemy, you do nothing. He's taking care of it all by himself. But it says, admonish him as a friend. Now, this is a tough message in some ways for our modern world, where admonitions are often seen as inherently unfriendly. And if you admonish someone, you may get unfriended. Because you're no friend of mine, how dare you. And yet Paul says to them, don't don't treat him like an enemy. The implication is to not admonish him. Well, that would be treating him like an enemy. That would be mean. And this is this is surprising to some people because they'd say, but, but, but wait, wait, wait. You know, laying all this kind of stuff on people about how, hey, you might be going the wrong way. And, hey, you could be you might there might be trouble ahead for you if you stay down this path. And, hey, this is not the right way. And, I mean, all that stuff is kind of what seems kind of judgmental. I mean, what are you threatening them? Isn't that mean? Isn't that the mean thing? Well, I like to sometimes a good question to ask people is. When you think about Jesus, do you does Jesus to you seem like a mean-spirited man? Everything that you read, does Jesus come across as mean-spirited? And incidentally, even for the unbeliever, you could ask this question. Even the unbeliever who has a vague notion of who Jesus was, from whatever stories they've read or whatever church background they had or whatever impressions they've gotten of who Jesus was, even the unbeliever, even the secular person, if you say, whatever, you know, whatever else Jesus was, whatever you think about him, does he, does he strike you as hateful and mean-spirited? Would you say so? And of course, I think most people, even unbelievers, would say, well, no, no, no. I don't think that about him. I mean, I mean, you know, he's all about love, right? I mean, and he was turning the other cheek and he accepted the lowly and I mean, he was going to even forgive his enemies. I mean, no, 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 that's it's a great example. Of, I mean, and of course, we, we who follow Christ, I mean, we know that clearly there's no, there was nothing in his spirit that would be described as mean or spiteful or hateful whatsoever. And yet, and yet, Jesus did an awful lot of warning people. He was full of admonitions for people. And some of them are very blunt and even a little bit scary to hear. He would say things to people like, I tell you the truth, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Ouch. And so if he could do that, and yet he's not a mean-spirited person, that by itself should sort of help us unravel this lie that sort of turns it on its head and says, it's the friend who lets you who lets you do whatever, who lets you drive down the road when the bridge is out. And says, Well, who am I to who am I to get in his way and tell him about roads and bridges and so on and so forth? I mean, he can do what he wants. Um, I'll let him make his choice. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm judgmental. The true friend would tell him, get off this road. The bridge is out. <laughs> this is a perilous road. Don't do this. I'm begging you, don't do this. You got you to know this. You've got you to be aware of this truth. Now, when Jesus did all these warnings, 
when, when in his preaching he had these admonitions for people, was he doing something strange or different? Because, you know, Jesus did do some things that hadn't been often done before. I mean, he was remarkable and unique in many ways. But was this remarkable and unique? Was it like, oh, wow, no one ever spoke like this guy before. They said that about him, but was it because of this? Is, was he doing something odd, new, different? Because he, oh, he warns people about possible dangers in life. And, of course, you would say to that, well, no, not if you read the prophets, he's doing nothing new. If you read the prophets, why, he's just doing something that's right in line with all the prophets before him. I mean, he, is, he is right in line with them. Because, of course, we know, we read the Old Testament, Yahweh sent prophets repeatedly, and not everything that they had to say was positive and cheery news, was it? Very often he sent people to war with, I mean, dire warnings about what is going to happen. Sometimes, in a few cases, it was what's going to happen regardless. This is... Just letting you know, this is going to happen. But in many cases, it was a warning to persuade them to get off the road they're on. It was, here's what awaits you, unless, unless what? Unless you, dare I say it, repent. What does it mean to repent? Turn your thinking around. Change how you see this. See it from God's perspective. And not a limited, sinful, selfish perspective that you may have had up until now. That's what the prophets were basically saying to people. And not everyone enjoyed hearing what the prophets said. That's why they didn't. That's why they didn't become uh, noted celebrities, and people didn't fawn all over them and throw parties for them and build statues to them very often. Uh, and so, in that vein, remember what they remember the great final ultimate reward that the society gave to Jesus Himself for all of His truth and warnings to people. Remember how they, what great reward he got from them for that. You may not, you may go ahead and want to not expect in this world that if, if all of the truth that you live and teach and preach includes, isn't exclusively this, but includes some sobering warnings about things, you probably shouldn't expect to make the covers of very many magazines these days either. It is just not always popular. But now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Our message is good news, right? I mean, isn't it a hopeful news? Didn't Paul, doesn't that passage begin with rejoicing? Rejoice in your sufferings and rejoice and rejoice. In every, and our message is, why, it's good news. It's the gospel. Of course it is. Of course it is good news. Good news that acknowledges, doesn't shy away from, reminds people of the full truth, and some of the full truth is ugly truth. Some of it. Thankfully, that's not all of it. Thankfully, it is superseded, fulfilled by a greater truth that is the good news. But what does good even mean unless set against the backdrop of what is bad? And so, therefore, uh, and by the way, you know the bad news part of part of the message. The Christian message has this bad news, and I would contend to you, it ain't even news. That part, the bad news part isn't so much news. It's the good news part that's real news, if that makes any sense. What I mean is, the bad news part that acknowledges, you know, I'm uh, very imperfect, I'm kind of a screw-up, 
I don't really know God. I can't reach out and get a hold of God and make everything right myself. I can't solve the world's problems. I can't fix all the illness and disease of the world. I don't know what happens when we die, and I don't really know if I could make any hope beyond that. I can't develop superpowers and fix everything. I don't know. I just don't know. I'm just, we're kind of out here. I have no, that, all of that, the sin of the world, the, everything that is bad in the world, is that news? That's not really news. That's an acknowledgement of what people already know. The news part of it is the solution, the answer, the medicine, the disease we know. We got that down. But we don't deny the bad part either, even if it sometimes hits a little bit hard. So the admonition is built into the gospel itself. We are stranded in sin. There's no other way out of this uh, predicament. And every minute of life and every beat of your heart moving us toward that uh, date we have. It's moving us toward a meeting with our maker. And we should evaluate. This is an admonition. Evaluate. What about it? Evaluate how we and where we stand before God. So that's the sort of John the Baptist style message of repent that is in fact part of every message. It's not just, well, he came preaching repentance and Jesus came preaching the love. That's not the, that hard dichotomy is false. No, no. John had an answer too, didn't he? His message wasn't, repent, you're all doomed. Thank you for coming. That's, this concludes my message for, for now and forever. No. No, he was, what was he doing out there? Baptizing people. John's message had good news. He was offering hope. It wasn't just all bad news. That's not what we do. The church does. The church has never done that. Even the prophets usually had a way out. That was sort of the point. It was a merciful act for God to warn them. The unmerciful act would have been to send no prophets. Just let them go. Just let them go right out, careen right out the old cliff. Who am I to interfere? No. He sent prophets to them. It was an act of grace to do it. Even though the people didn't want to hear him. How dare you come in here and tell us. That was the mercy of God to send them. And so there's, we don't leave people hanging this way. We don't go out in the world and just preach all the, all the grim news. You're going to die. You're a sinner. God's going to judge everybody. Come to my church. You know? We'll sing songs about it. Dire, terrible songs like funeral you know, marches about how there's no hope for us in this world. No church does that. Even our funerals have a celebratory element. Amen. You know? And, and that may seem to the world strange because we mourn like those who actually have hope. Just as strange as it would be for an apostle to tell people to rejoice in their sufferings. That's strange too. And so we don't shy away from the warning, but the reason we don't and and the admonitions in life is because we have good news. We have have the solution. We're we're not the doctor who pulls you in the room and says, ooh, bad news. Yeah, you're a goner. You are a goner. Uh, man, I've never seen anything like this. I got no idea how to ever fix this. No, you're no, you're host. Well, uh, you'll get my bill. Have a nice day. 
No, it's not. No. No, we we got the medicine. And that that is the difference. Admonishing each other is a regular part of life anyway. Let's not pretend that this is not something we do already. Warnings and admonitions are, are, are necessary for survival. I mean, if we just get very basic about it, it's part of everyday life. It's what we do all the time. Parents do it all the time with young kids. And you have a little kid, for, you know, for, for many, many years, you've got to warn them about all kinds of things. Don't do that. No, 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 don't do that. No, no, no. Whoa, whoa, stop. You know what happens if you do that? You know what could happen if you, you, you know, they don't know. They're clueless. They don't understand the kind of dangers that are all around. It's a regular part of what you. By the way, if you never did that, you would be you would be a negligent parent. You should go to prison probably, if you never ever gave any warnings and helped kids understand the dangers. Because uh, it's it's incredibly problematic for their future, such as it is, whatsoever future they may have. It's your job. It's your duty to do that. Isn't the um, doesn't Paul uh, say in Ephesians 6, it says uh, to raise kids in what? The nurture and admonition. Same word. Same word. Raise them with nurture, yeah. But part of the nurturing is... is it's not, a lot of parents today think that nurturing is have whatever you want, as much as you want, anytime you want. You make your choices. I don't want to interfere with you as a... You're, you're discovering the person you are and who you want to be. I'm not going to interfere with that. After all, you're five. You need to just make your own choices in life. What? You think they're talking about like, oh, look, when your kid's 21 and they, yeah, they're kind of grown up, you got to let them, you've done your duty and you know, you hope that, but no, we let eight-year-olds do this because we think, well, I'm just nurturing, nurturing. No, how about the nurture and admonition? They need some truth, some hard truth. They need some warnings. They need to be told, that's dumb. That's no good. I'm not going to let you do that. Parameters, fences, guardrails. When the, when the city and state builds the infrastructure to put guardrails around dangerous passes, are they lording it over you? Are they, is that a police state to interfere with your driving choices? No, that's... That's kind of an act of kindness on their part. Um, I, you know, lived I lived many years in in mountainous country, out west, and I and you know driving up through mountain passes and all that stuff, right? Dale knows this. On that riding that hog at high speed, taking those tight corners up there in, in through the Rockies, because he loves the thrill, you know. He's and he's got his headphones on. Get your motor running. Right? Bugs in his teeth. I just that's how I like to picture Dale when he's out on the open road. Helmets? I don't need no stinking helmet. That's not really true, I don't think. I I think Dale strikes me as the kind of guy that wears his helmet. And if not, it might be time for an intervention and admonition. <laughs> be warned, brother. Beware. But those guardrails that they put, you know, it's good that they're there. It's good that they're there. And so it is. We warn each other all the time. It's a regular part of the teaching of Scripture. So when we study the Word, when we teach the Word, when we preach the Word, we come across these things. We are cautioned. We are advised. Things to avoid. Things to look out for. The enemy's got schemes. Better recognize them. Better know what they are. Better be aware of them. There are pitfalls. Don't want to step in those. 
And that's maybe why Paul sort of pairs it with teaching. He says, admonishing and teaching, because we are, we're a teaching institution. But part of teaching is, the, is all those admonitions. And of course, in our day and age, it's funny because um, thanks to lawyers and uh, lawsuits and litigious types, we even have warnings that, uh, that go from the ridiculous to the sublime and to the downright silly, which is why you have those uh, warnings that are on so many products you buy. You guys notice how some of those, some of the things that you um, that you purchase, and it'll have warnings on it, and you think, "What do they think? I'm an idiot? Yeah. <laughs> do not drink, whatever. You know what I mean? And it's like just products. What's that? It just takes. It just takes one litigious person or one moron to to drink it, and then now we got now the the lawyers who work for that company say, "You uh, had better put this on there to keep." Just so that we don't get sued, uh, because some uh, someone who you know who should who needed who needed some admonition in his life, that's a person who had no friends. Man, if that person had friends, that friend would have done the friendly thing and warned him, "Don't drink that." Uh, so, yes, this word this word is not a mean word. To the admonitions, the warnings that come from Scripture. The warnings that come from a revealed truth of common sense that we know about. It is, it is God's will that, that as an act of mercy and as an act of kindness and yes, as an act of love, that part of our instruction, instruction of parents to kids, instruction mutually between brothers and sisters and peers and true friends, and instruction in teaching and from the pulpit and in small groups, that instruction be part of life all throughout. That we, we, we don't live in the dour um, sadness of, oh no, there's so many dangers. And we don't live scared. We live wise. We live wise. That's how we can rejoice. Because you rejoice when you have avoided the pitfalls. And when you have been well trained to know what they are. The goal being, of course, to present everyone mature, complete, in Christ. That's how that person looks. That person then looks like someone who has, thank God, avoided a lot of life's pitfalls that could have derailed him and ruined him. And now is in a position to be the teacher and guide to help other people. You know, as you get older in life, you've gone down the road a long ways. You took the tight corners. You saw the potholes. You saw where the, all the dangers. And now you can look back to the people who are miles behind you and start to give the warnings to them. Watch out for this. Look out for this. When you reach this tight corner, slow down. Take it from me. I already went there. And that's part of the process that goes on. That the church, just like this church in Colossae, the church everywhere, proclaiming Christ. And part of that is warning, admonishing, and teaching everyone with all Wisdom. We thank you, Lord, for the word of assurance. The word that brings us good news. The word that is realistic, does not paint over or shy away from or candy coat the bad news. The bad news, which is not even news because we already know it because we live in it. We give you thanks, though, that this diagnosis is not doom. Because the medicine is the gospel. 
that our message has hope, that our message offers the cure to the disease, that our message shows the world and proclaims to the world that there is a way out of this trap and that ultimately when we all reach the date that we have, whatever, however the future looks, we're all moving toward it. That we can make it through um, the tight corners, that we can make it through the minefields, where the, and, and that we would, we would not take the road where the bridge is out, that the enemy would not be able to derail us, to disqualify us, to put us off into a ditch, so that we can't reach the goals to become who we were meant to be in Christ but that you would help us to carry everyone along, bring everyone to fulfillment, to completion, and to maturity in Christ, which is the goal you have set for your church. As we teach and warn everyone, we pray that you guide us, that you would speak through us, that we would be true to this word given to us, of which we are stewards, with the good news and the bad news, warts and all, everything, all for the benefit of your church and all for your present and future glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. amen. Thank you, Sister Denise. <laughs> Would you stand with me this morning? And uh, as we were saying, you know, whatever is whatever we learn, what is preached, what is taught, includes some things that aren't always cheery and aren't always good. But we, nevertheless, our overall takeaway in the way that we live is we rejoice. And so that is my uh, word to you as we go out of here. As it says, they went out rejoicing. And so this week, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Amen.